The Blaze Radio Network. On demand. A special plea to those wanting Donald Trump to get a Nobel Peace Prize on North Korea. Breaking down the White House Correspondence Dinner and the jokes conservatives should have been offended by versus the jokes they were offended by and a personal story on bullying. Man stands with America. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on the Blaze Radio Network. Good morning, America, or good afternoon, good evening, or good night, depending on what time you're listening to this. This, of course, is the show exclusive to the Blaze, where you come for the accent, but you stay for the principles. I want to delve right into it today. Um, I'm going to annoy you a lot today because there's a lot of things happening in your country and in our world that just are really frustrating to watch. And I want to start today by... If you're a Donald Trump supporter, or you're a Republican, or you're a conservative, I want to... This is a warning for you. I'm, I'm going to make a, a plea to you to get off the course that you're on. I've been watching your news coverage. I've been watching some what politicians are doing in D.C. I've been watching how people are reacting on social media. And there's this now cry and clamor for Donald Trump to be awarded or to be nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize. I want to plead with you to get off this path. And I'm going to tell you why. There is a bigger reason and there's a small reason. First of all, the small reason. Can we stop with these phony awards? Like, I remember I was around uh, with conservatives and Tea Party groups and, and Republicans when Barack Obama won the Nobel Peace Prize. I remember what y'all said. I can't say what y'all said, in, because if I did, I'd be thrown off the air. But it wasn't flattering. So, can we be at least somewhat consistent by saying, look, if it's a, the award is pointless and a show award... Eight years ago, or nine years ago, or ten years ago, whenever Obama won it in 2009, nine years ago, that it's still the same award? Secondly, I get why you're pushing this. I get, I understand why a lot of Donald Trump supporters act the way they do. Because of the media. I get that frustration where, no matter what the guy does, the guy could stand on the top of his head, and the media would find fault with it. There are many reasons for this. One, they have an agenda. Two, they have to sell clicks or they have to watch viewers and that's what they feel attracts them. And three, been blunt, Donald Trump doesn't exactly do himself any favors the way he acts. So, of course, they're going to continue talking about him. But the response to someone who always says you're crap, you're crap, you're crap, you're crap, you're crap, is not to be the opposite and go, well, I'm awesome, I'm brilliant, I'm the best thing since sliced bread, give me these Nobel Peace Prize. No, the answer is still the same answer it always is. It's by principles. That's the small reason. Because there's a bill been put forth in Congress 
Um, a dozen lawmakers this week signed a letter officially nominating him for a Nobel Peace Prize in honour of his work bringing peace towards the Korean Peninsula. The letter was signed by Luke Messer, uh, Mark Meadows, Marsha Blackburn, Matt Gates, uh, Steve King. And it highlighted Trump's relentless efforts in bringing peace to the region. And I quote, Although North Korea has evaded demands from the international community to cease its aggression for decades, President Trump's peace through strength policies are working in bringing peace to the Korean Peninsula. We can think of no one more deserving of the committee's recognition in 2019 than President Trump for his tireless work to bring peace to our world. End quote. Here's the reason why I'm asking you to get off this path. Now maybe... Maybe next year you can justifiably get on this path, but I think it's important to bring some reason, some logic, and some principles to this conversation. Y'all don't like the UN, I'm guessing, if you're listening to me right now, right? I'm going to quote what the UN says. So this is what they say. Can you imagine the reality? This is from a report they release on every country each year. Now, this is the UN, right? Just bear this in mind. And I quote, North Korea is one of the most repressive authoritarian states in the world. In a sixth year of power, King Jong-un, the third leader of the dynasty Kim family and head of the ruling Workers' Party of Korea, who exercises almost total political control, intensified repressive measures including tightening domestic restrictions on travel, unauthorized cross-border travel with China, and punished North Koreans for contacting those of the outside world. The government continued to generate fearful obedience from its citizens by means of threatening and actual execution, detention, forced labor under harsh and sometimes fatal conditions. This government has committed crimes against humanity, including extermination, murder, enslavement, torture, imprisonment, rape, and other forms of sexual violence and forced abortions. It restricts all basic civil and political liberties for its citizens, including freedom of expression, religion and conscience, assembly and association. It prohibits any political organization, independent media and civil society, and free trade unions. There is a lack of independent judiciary, arbitrary arrest and punishment of crimes, torture in custody, forced labor, and executions maintain fear and control. There is a class system over in North Korea, and it groups people into three categories, loyal, wavering, and hostile. For women, The punishments for their acts of their husband or other relatives include torture, rape and other sexual abuses in detention facilities, sexual exploitation or forced marriages of North Korean women in China. It also, the way you is the exact opposite to America. You know the way Donald Trump wants to build a wall to keep people out of America? You know, those illegal people? Well, in North Korea, it's different because they recently bolstered their efforts to prevent people from leaving North Korea without permission by increasing border guards, CCTV cameras, barbed wire fences. And it even went and further and said it was going to jam Chinese cell phone services at the border. So basically, they can't, you know, contact people in China. This is a country that is so enslaved by its leader. He is one of the most vile, vicious 
dictators and comes from a horrific family. By the way, this is me talking now. I've ended a report on from the UN. This is a government that actually has a department called the Propaganda and Agitation Department. They're not hiding who they are. Why would you have a department of government called the Propaganda and Agitation Department? This is a bad, bad guy. So why am I asking you to get off this path of pleading for a Nobel Peace Prize? Because let's not catch our chickens before they hatch. Look, there are positive steps on North Korea. Donald Trump deserves credit for that, does he? Absolutely. The fact that you have North Korea and South Korea talking is a positive step. It's a step I'm very, I feel very uncomfortable with, but it is a positive step. The reason I'm very uncomfortable with it is because the North Korean family, the Kim family, have always wanted unification. And if you say that to people and they don't know the the political tensions of the region or what actually the Kim family have actually called for, you go, well, unification sounds good. You know, North Korea, South Korea, we have one big Korea. That's awesome, isn't it? And uh, everyone always assumes one option is going to happen. Well, if you have unification, of course, North Korea is going to join the modern day world, right, John? They're going to be like South Korea and we'll have just Korea and the Korean War will be over and the amnesty with America will be over and they'll become like just another modern democratic country and it'll be all awesome. It'll be swell and we'll sing come by and everything would be great, right? Not what the Kim family wants. Kim family wants unification of North Korea and South Korea. It just happens to want South Korea to be more like North Korea. Which, by the way, if you've never done this optic of, you know, how a bad country runs and how a good country runs, Google North Korea at night. And then Google South Korea at night. The picture might come up the same. It's loads of lights from the sky. North Korea... It's black with a few lights in one place. This is a horrific, horrific country. This is not a good leader. To show you how much control this family has over this country, the Kim family, when doctors without borders go into North Korea, whenever they're let in, and it's not always guaranteed access. They've shared stories publicly when they got out of they would go into these countries and they would cure the blind, for example. And you would think there's these people who, you know, are blind and then this outside doctor comes in and helps you see, you know, gives you cataracts or whatever the procedure is. I'm not an eye doctor. You would think, oh my God, you're, you're wonderful. Thank you for coming into my country, our country, and helping me see again. That's not who they thank. The level of control in this country is they thank King Jong-un for letting that happen. They thank him, not the doctors, not technology, him. That is the amount of control we have, they have on his people. This, why am I telling you this? I'm telling you this because this could be one of the biggest successes of 21st century politics where you actually get North Korea to de-escalate. You actually get them off the path they're on looking for a nuclear weapon. That you actually could bring peace to that region and a bit of stability. This could be one of the greatest political political successes if you want to make a politics of the 21st century. This could be Ronald Reagan's Mr. President tear down that wall moment. It absolutely could be. However, when you're dealing with dictators... 
It's very important to understand certain things. When you're dealing with a dictator, logic, reason, and principles generally go out the window. Generally, as a general rule, if you're dealing with a dictator, here's a piece of advice as someone who has studied a good chunk of your history and world history. If you're dealing with a dictator, generally go by the rule that says, if it's good for political society and modern day society at large, they're going to pretty much be against us or have an ulterior motive. So while this move could be the greatest political success story of the 21st century, this also could be, well, it won't be exactly apt, this could be Neville Chamberlain, we have peace in our time. Why do I say that? Because as someone who's been reading up on this story all week, I've yet to see one major concession from North Korea. Oh, well, they're, they're shutting down, John. They're, they're shutting down their, their, their testing plant. They're, they're, you know that place in the mountain where they were launching? They're shutting... No, they're not shutting it down. It collapsed. There's, radi- there's a fear of a major, major, major radiation outbreak from that place. It's no longer sustainable to do it. So that's not a concession. A concession will be shutting it down. A concession would be, we're just going to you know, blow it up or we're going to destroy it from within. That would be a concession. Or we're going to take everyone out from it. That would be a concession. Having a place that you used to use no longer be operable is not a concession. That's like, oh, look, uh, I can't use that anymore. Can we use that as a concession? That's like That's been cheeky. That is not a concession. I've heard the concession this week that they're releasing three American prisoners. Okay. That's a good start. But let me give you this in very blunt terms. If you're a liberal, you're not going to like what I'm about to say. If you're a snowflake, you're definitely not going to like what I'm about to say. A couple of months ago, you had Donald Trump and King Jong-un talking about how big and powerful their red buttons were. Now, forget the innuendo there. Forget what that, you know, little buttons and bigger buttons in the state of the military. What they're effectively threatening is, if not nuclear war, you know, a serious war with missiles where a lot of innocent people will die. You, Donald Trump was threatening to effectively wipe them off the face of the earth in no uncertain terms. Because if you understand the military aspect of America and you understand the military might of America and you talk about red buttons, there is not a country on this God's green earth America can't wipe off the face of the planet. That is just a simple fact. You can obliterate anywhere from a large part different parts of the world as well it's so it's kind of cool but it's kind of scary so you're talking about obliterating country and now you're wanting to settle down and calm things down and get people to the negotiation table and the concession is three prisoners that we held really so we're tre- you're, Donald Trump is no longer saying we're going to blow you off the face of the earth and the concession is three Americans been released. Is the three Americans been released a good positive step? Absolutely. It's a wonderful step. It should be a first step of many. Why am I so concerned about North Korea? Why am I, you, you know, John, you don't seem very happy. I am happy. I just don't trust dictators. When you do what to your own people... When you do to your own people what this guy has done, what his family have done, extermination, murder, enslavement, torture, if you're willing to do that to your own people, to your North Korean people, to your blood, quote-unquote, what do you think they're willing to do to someone who isn't their people? If you're willing to torture and kill and enslave, 
and have three class systems of loyal, wavering, and hostile, what are you going to do to someone you actually don't like, who you don't represent, who isn't your blood, who isn't just like you? Taking them at their words, I'm sorry, is not the best piece of advice I can give anyone. And before anyone thinks, is this another anti-Donald Trump? No, this is just principle. If you had Ronald Reagan in the White House, I'd be saying the exact same thing today. If people were calling for him to have a Nobel Peace Prize. I'd be like, whoa, you're way too early in this process. Maybe next year, if you get to certain concessions and, and things simmer down and you have a track record, then by all means, if you feel the need of wanting a Nobel Peace Prize and you feel he needs that recognition, I don't get why. I think the recognition would be you've got peace. That would be wonderful. But if you feel that need, do it next year or the year after. This too is too soon. Because I want to talk to you about another country, just very briefly. Why is it so important that this is done right? Because I don't know if you're watching the news this week, or if you watched a certain leader of a country give a presentation this week. In case I'm giving you something you haven't heard, Bibi Netanyahu, the president of Israel, sorry, not the president, the prime minister of Israel, I apologize, gave a presentation to the world this week that I I can guarantee you nobody watched. A presentation. They have 11,000 documents, I believe, from Iran. They presented evidence. If you haven't watched it, don't take my word for it. Go watch the presentation. It's a frightening presentation of what Iran actually was doing. When this Iranian deal was going down, what exactly Iran was doing? It was keeping all the records. It was typical of what these regimes tend to do, and this is my fear with North Korea, that they will follow this playbook. Where you ratchet things up, you ratchet tensions up with a country, you get to the brink of, oh my God, we are going to nuclear war. We are going to war. And then the peace community comes in. The UN, we have to have peace, we have to have peace. Everyone just calm down. Because war never solves anything, right? And then they go, okay, well, we'll calm down. Because you don't want a nuclear war. We're, we're, you're, you're chicken. You're not committed to this. So we'll calm down. And what we'll do is, you give us a load of concessions. You release you know, some money in the Iran deal. You get a tray full of money, which the Obama administration... By the way, oh, how I miss you, Barack Obama. Oh, how I miss you. How I miss your... Your, your wonderful days of great deal-making. It's just the world misses you so much, in case you haven't heard that in a while. By the way, there's a lot of sarcasm in that. But you gave them money. You released the sanctions against them. And what they do is, they then use the, the, the media, well, the politician got their win. Hey, I, I got North Korea down. This is a great deal. You had all the Obama administrations running around with the Iranian deal going, hey, look at Barack Obama. He's, he's, he's God. He's awesome. He got Iran to the, to, the, to the negotiation table. He got Iran to calm down. He got Iran to ratchet down the tensions. He's brought peace in our time. And Iran's just sitting there going, yeah, of course you did, yeah. I'm just going to, you know, get some money up and build it up and, and just work behind the scenes and I'll let you in when I feel like letting you in. I'll let those inspectors in when, when it's convenient to me. 
I'll hide reports from you, and I'm just going to keep working on things. And eventually, in the future, I'll ratchet things up again, and I'll get to the brink of nuclear war, and then you'll all come to me again, like you always do. Leaders of the world and the UN and the European Union will all come to me going, please, we need peace in our time. We need peace. We need peace. Because war is never an option here. We need peace. And they're like, I'll, I'll agree again. Until the final ultimatum comes. And when that final ultimatum comes... North Korea, Iran, Hamas, Hezbollah, Al-Qaeda, ever who it is. The group can change, the people can change, the country can change. The situation never does. Because you can have conceded so much through different administrations, through different times. That when the final ultimatum comes, when they actually have the nuclear weapon, and they make that final ultimatum, they know the answer. They know the answer in heart of hearts because the people who came, who clamoured for peace, for negotiation, will be there again once more. We need peace. We need peace at any cost. We need peace at any cost. Our world is in major and dire situations right now. Our world needs principles. It needs leadership. But it also needs logic and reason. If you think and trust all of a sudden, trust North Korea to abide by anything, and they haven't really said anything to be to abide by. It's not like they've made a lot of promises. If they start obeying by them, the old Reagan saying, trust but verify, maybe Donald Trump is the political hero that the world needs. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe this will go down as the greatest deal in the history of the 21st century. It's quite possible. And if it does go down that way, then you will have all of eternity to praise Donald Trump. He will have all of eternity to remember Donald Trump and what he done as President of the United States. It doesn't need to be glory right now. It doesn't need to be Nobel Peace Prizes. I would say this to any administration. Never forget the crazy. And when you're dealing with dictators, just because you see things through some type of logic and reason and Western type of values, they don't. And assuming they do means you're at a disadvantage. You're at a tactical disadvantage. To those who listen to this and go, well, there's John again. There he is, the warmonger. You're just calling for war. Why would you have him bomb North Korea? Would you have him bomb Iran? Let's deal with those two questions right now first. Would I bomb North Korea right now? No, you've got them negotiating. I would go in there and negotiate firm. I would have either directly when he meets with him in a couple of weeks or have people through channels negotiate firm. This is our cost. This is our price. You want peace? We welcome peace at every opportunity. We don't want to go to war. However, the difference between me and other those other people who are pre, pre, peace at any cost, peace at any solution, I'm not afraid to go to war with you. So I would have the bar really, really high. And I'd be forgetting about the politics or the optics. Get peace. To Iran, would I bomb Iran? I would personally, if I was an American, 
wouldn't be actively seeking that. However, I would be supporting Israel 110%. The idea America has to be involved in every country and every bombing is something I don't agree with. But I would make sure Israel has everything it needs. Let Israel deal with it. Let the countries around Israel deal with it. Because you're actually starting to see some sea shift changes in the Middle East. And may I give this piece of advice to any foreign policy hawks right now. You know, you're actually seeing more change in the Middle East in the last year than you've seen in the last 10. Don't get involved in it. That's that's going to be a conversation for another show. Don't get involved in it. You now have this week, in case you missed the spoiler, which we're going to talk about in, in the upcoming weeks. The Crown Prince of Saudi Arabia said, and I quote, Palestinians should take a deal from America and Israel or stop whining. Can you imagine that has been said, the Crown Prince is going to say that six months ago, a year ago, two years ago, three years ago, four years ago? It would have been unimaginable, unthinkable. You'd be like, yeah, you, I'd be laughed. I'd be like, if, imagine in 2018, this is what the Crown Prince of Saudi Arabia is going to say. You would have laughed, and rightfully so, you would have went, John, are you serious? You're the, you're the person who tells me Saudi Arabia is not an ally of America all the time, and you're telling me he's going to say this? He said it. The Middle East is changing. Why is it changing? Because they all know they have a common enemy, and that enemy is Iran. We are entering times where we will either be remembered as someone who overcame the great evils of our time. If we act right, we can overcome this. Especially with American military and American power and American diplomacy. Doing things the right way. We could be in a time of the next 5-10 years where North Korea is no longer a problem and Iran is no longer a problem. That is two major nuclear threats. Or, if we make things about politics and we get distracted and we don't act with honor and we don't do things the right way, well, then maybe we're the generation to lose everything. I hope you take this plea as what it is meant to be. A plea for sanity. And a plea for, let's not trust dictators as a general rule. Let's not trust dictators. Trust but verify And let's leave these fancy Nobel Peace Prizes to people who actually care. Don't go anywhere, America. We'll be right back. Freedom versus freebies. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn. On the Blaze Radio Network. Don't miss the morning blaze with Doc. Uh, are you at seven, uh, two? Where are you? Uh, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a one. I'm, I'm a one. one? Okay. Yeah, I'm, a one. I'm at none. Uh, zero. Let me I take a year. How many take a year? One, maybe. Oh, no, it's none. Let me add it up, though. <laughs> you know how many I've taken in the last decade? Let me add them up here. Carry the one, the cosine. I'm going to need a uh, zero. Oh, you still have zero. The morning blaze. Weekday morning, six to nine Eastern on the Blaze Radio Network. Freedom's Disciple On Demand. On the Blaze Radio Network. Thank you so much for sticking with me, America. As always, I'm on social media at 
Freedom Disciple on Twitter, Jonathan Dunn 58 on Facebook. That's where you can engage with me. Let me know if you think I'm wonderful, if I'm swell, if I'm just a, the best commentator in the world, or that never happens, or more likely if you want to tell me how I'm wrong, or hey, you're fast. Oh, really? Thanks for telling me that. I didn't know that already. If that's if you want to share any of those messages or anything else, or you have a request in the show. That's where you can find me and, and engage me. You can engage me publicly. You can engage with me privately. I'm I'm okay with either. So this week there was a lot of news, and I rarely talk about your culture, but for the rest of the show, I actually want to talk about your culture. I want to break into a a couple of different topics, and I also want to give you some inside baseball, the way I see the world and the way I think. But I want to start with a story of. Last week, I think it was, sometime at the weekend, the White House Correspondence Dinner was on. It's a date in my calendar I never, ever miss. And there was some comedian there, and I can't remember the girl named Michelle Wolf. I watched it. I watched the 18-minute. It's supposed to be a roast, but it was horrific. There was actually, it was so horrific, there was actually part of me that felt sorry for her. And the reason I felt sorry for her is because I don't know anything about her, nor do I want to know anything about her, but if you're a comedian, or as someone who's done a lot of public speaking, if you're going to give a 17-minute presentation and you're reading off a script, you're not, shouldn't be in that position. I've seen people read off scripts and teleprompters. There's generally a reason why you do it. You know, I, presidents read all teleprompters and special speeches, or if you're Barack Obama on any speech, just because it has to keep him on track and, you know, you you have to remind him of there's a way to say things and a time to say things and a place to say things. Generally, speeches, as someone who has done public speaking in colleges and in political groups, reading from a speech makes it really dull. Reading from a piece of paper makes it really dull. You don't have that that rapport, that relationship with people. You don't have that eye contact because you're always looking down at a piece of paper. That's bad when you're... If you imagine me giving you a talk, in even right now through the show, I have bullet points, but I, I don't write... If I read from a speech, it would be boring. It would be monotonous, and it would be in this one tone of, and Donald Trump should do this, and, and, and don't negotiate with dictators, and, and don't... It would be boring. You can get away with it in some places. But if you're a comedian and you're reading jokes, you're kind of missing the whole point. It's the delivery is what you should be focusing on to make it funny. But I watched this painful speech because I just, I don't know why I was in a mood this week and I wanted to inflict some pain on myself. And it was either, you know, put pins in my eyes or listen to that speech. And I wish I'd pick in the pins in my eyes, I got to be honest. But I watched it. I didn't laugh once. I didn't find it funny. I thought the delivery was shocking. Her voice is horrific. Um, And the jokes were just stupid, crappy, and just undignified. I've seen people roast people I like. I've I've actually watched, you know, just in case you think, I, you know, well, you just, you don't like leftist comedians. I like left, I like people who are funny. You know, I used to love, I used to, I grew up. And people roasting Ronald Reagan. And I love Ronald Reagan. Some of the the, the comedians, that the way they spoke to him and the way they acted around him, were hilariously funny. It it was just funny. 
And it was, you know, even though you're mocking someone, you're like, it was hilariously funny. Why? Because the jokes weren't mean-spirited. They weren't, um, they weren't making a political point, And they were delivered well. Jokes are jokes. They're funny. And if you can't poke fun at yourself, then you're missing out one of the, the greatest joys in life, poking fun at yourself. But I read the responses and I read the outrage because everyone was outraged by this speech. Everyone was covering how, oh my God, this girl was so mean to to Sarah Huckabee Sanders. She was so mean to Kellyanne Conway. She She said she wanted Kellyanne Conway to get stuck under a tree. She said Sarah Huckabee Sanders was loose with the facts and, and burning them up and was getting a smoky eye. Oh my God. There was a real story in that speech. There was one joke, which I'm going to play for you, that should have been all over the headlines. That if, if logic and reason and principles were around, this would have been the story coming out of the White House Correspondents' Dinner. If people actually had principles and actually understood, not let's let's focus on being a victim. Let's focus on something that is really matters. And to those who say, well, John, are you saying bullying doesn't matter? Are you saying insults? I'm going to get to that in the next segment. But there was a joke that was spoken by this lady, which is truly vile. Which, if you're a conservative or you're a Republican... Quote unquote. This should have been the banner story all over the media this week, especially if you're a conservative. And I'm going to play that joke for you right now. Mike Pence is also very anti choice. He thinks abortion is murder, which, first of all, don't knock it till you try it. <laughs> and when you do try it, really knock it. You know, you got to get that baby out of there. And yeah, sure, you can groan all you want. I know a lot of you are very anti-abortion, you know, unless it's the one you got for your secret mistress. It's fun how values can waver. So there you have it. This is comedy today. I don't know if you've been... I've seen some media outlets play this, but all the media outrage I've seen this week and people demanding people apologize to Sarah Huckabee Sanders and, you know, apologize to Kellyanne Conway. I've yet to see outrage on this by a lot of Republican and conservative outlets. So there's a couple of things I want to discuss about this joke, quote-unquote. We are at a point in time where... We are morally outraged by absolutely freaking everything. We get our angry. We get onto Twitter. We, we get hashtags trending. Oh my God. Did you see they did this? Did you say, did you see they said this about someone? Did you see the Boy Scouts has dropped boy from their name? Oh my God. This is liberal progressivism gone crazy. Yet when it comes to jokes about, you know, knocking a baby out of it. So many people are silent. Where's the outrage in that? Well, where is the outrage? We live in a world that loves to be morally outraged. We love to share our opinions on Facebook and Twitter. We love the attention. We are love. We crave the likes and the shares and the comments about stuff that's funny. Oh, you got a funny meme, or you had a funny one-liner. Did you see what this politician said about that politician? They're awesome. I love them. When it comes to anything serious, though, it doesn't seem to happen, does it? Seems to be 
can't get morally outraged about abortion, can you? Don't knock it till you've tried it, and when you try it, really knock it. How can anyone look at those words and think that's okay? Is this the point in time where where we we just make jokes about abortion? Just there's a poor innocent little baby. Let's just kill it. <laughs> that's a great joke. Tell me another one. Is that the type of culture we want to live in? Is it? And to those who are listening, maybe I don't know, who are pro-choice. Remember the old pro-choice slogan? It was a lie, but it was still a slogan. Was it safe, legal, and rare? What happened to those people? If you believe in pro-choice and you believe in safe, legal, and rare, well then, you know, maybe you shouldn't be laughing at this type of joke. But in her joke and in her sick, twisted humor, she made one mistake from a liberal point of view, and she also highlights something that we have to deal with on our on our side, quote-unquote. First of all, the little slip she made is she called it a baby. You know, you got to get that baby out of there. You know, There's nothing more funnier than when you make a joke and you also have to explain it. <laughs> nothing tells me you're a great comedian that, hey, don't knock it till you try it, and then when you, you know, really knock, uh, you know, when you try it, really knock it. Because you got to get the baby, you know, out of there. You know, nothing tells me you're a great comedian like explaining the joke you've just told. But she called it a baby. So, you know, she should be getting some hate on her side because it's not a baby, John. We all know this is a bunch of cells. That bunch of cells could be anything. Could turn into a baby, sure, but it also could be, you know, a, a head of cabbage or, you know, a rusty old piece of iron or a cowboy boot. It could even be a gun. Never know. Yes, it's just a bunch of cells. It's yet yet formed. It could be anything. But on our side, she does raise a point of how values can waver. You know, until it comes to our mistress. If we want to, if you believe in anything, life, government, limited government, lower taxation. We need to be men and women of principles and never waver. Because when we do, we would not only hurt ourselves, our side, and and potentially future Americans and future people around the world. We need to be the best people we can. There is a reason your founders understood that life was sacred, fortunes was sacred, but honor was sacred. And they used those words in the Declaration of Independence. We must be the generation, and we must instill in our kids and our grandkids that honor never wavers. Honor never changes. But we also have a duty and a responsibility to teach those people that sometimes having honor will make you lose. You know, we're in this culture of always doing the good right thing and always winning. Sometimes, and this really sucks, Doing the right thing means you lose. And trust me, when you lose, it's I don't ever want anyone to lose. It's a horrible feeling. But if you're going to lose, lose the right way. Lose with dignity and honor. You know, this week has been a... Man, it's been... The last month has been a an emotional roller coaster in my life. There hasn't been too many ups, but there's been a hell of a lot of downs. 
I do a lot of work behind the scenes with a lot of different people. And you don't need to know what I do, how I do it, or why I do it. But there's this person I wanted to help. I won't reveal the details now because it's not irrelevant, but I just want to share a quick story with you. There was this person I wanted to help. They needed assistance. And I said, I'll help. we can help you. There's a couple of people who want to help this person. And I said, okay, we'll do this. I said, here's what we'll do. We'll do ABC. I had a lot of things in place. I had organized some outside help as well. And they said, look, I really want to do this. I really like that plan. We want to go with it. But I got to wait for something. And I'm like, okay, that's cool. We will wait. I won't proceed with anything until you give me the okay. However, people around this person didn't feel the same way. And they were after their 30 seconds of fame. They were after that spotlight. They were after that self-importance. I don't know whether they were made make the same commitment as I did. Or if they just simply didn't care. But because of it, I don't know if I'm going to be able to have the this help the person the same way I did and give them the impact that they wanted and that they deserve. I had to go back to the people I had asked for help and say, look, this is the situation and explain it to them. I had to kind of, now if I cared about my reputation and all about winning, I would say I had to go back and look like a fool. Thankfully, the people I'm involved with didn't see it that way. Acting with honor is really tough, especially in this world, because acting with honor generally means you lose a lot. Because there are people out there who are just so hungry and so thirsty for their 30 seconds of fame, they would screw their own mother to get it. But does that mean you join the rest of society going over a cliff and not acting the right way? Because if that's what it means, then we are no different and no better than those who believe in the law of man. You are no different or better from Democrats, from the majority of Republicans, from the rest of the world. Because you are believing in the law of man. The reason the law of man in this world struggles so much and the law of man is a failed law is because the law of man has no foundation. It never changes. It, it, all, sorry, it always changes. It's what's popular. So if we think this today, we can do 180 on it tomorrow because we're man. We, we make the laws. That is the history of the world. It is the law that kings, queens, tyrants, dictators, oligarchs, theocracies, all ruled by. There is no moral foundation. There is no consistency. There is no principle. It's do what you feel is right and the hell with the consequences. America was different because it said, no, there are certain things that are morally foundational that these never change that these are principles they are not from my god or your god they are from the god of nature they are consistent they never ever change 
You can set your watch by them. They will always be true and they will be for everyone. We need to get to that point again. We need to get that there is no left solution, that there is no right solution, but there is a solution. It's a solution for everyone. And to start sharing those principles again. Because we are in a world that is desperately crying out for principles, whether we know it or not. What more do you need, if you have read any part of history, what more proof do you need than last week at the White House Correspondents' Dinner where everyone, where there was a joke about abortion and knocking a baby out of it, out of its womb, and where there was so little outrage by it, but everyone was outraged by someone saying you have smoky eye, or you're, you know, when you disappoint other women, you're Aunt Coulter. That was the outrage. Yet a baby joke about abortion is totally fine. What more proof do you need? We are in a society that is going crazy. That is so upside down. And no one or very few seem to want to talk about it. We need to start having honest conversations with people about principles. I wish you... I will do everything I can, but in truth, the most powerful conversation needs to happen from Americans to Americans. And it's not listen to some crazy Irish guy, it's listen to your own people, to your own founders. You know, people always get agitated, and when I said this a couple of weeks ago, a lot of people weren't happy. And I thought I was arrogant, when I said I could solve your country's problem in about 30 minutes. I could solve them in about 30 minutes, give or take. I actually must time it sometime and see how long it takes to solve your country's problems. Because it's just simply follow the Constitution, read the Declaration of Independence and the Bill of Rights and actually follow them and enforce them. You do that, 99% of your problems that you're having right now are gone. You understood, understand your founders. If you really want to set your course, um, your nation on a course for true exceptionalism, then I would say maybe take a couple of hours, maybe four or five hours and read the Federalist Papers. Then if you really want to get on sound economic footing, there are a couple of books I suggest you read. But maybe a couple of days. But you want to solve 99% of your problems, read your founding documents. Don't take my word for it. Read what people a lot smarter, a lot more educated, and a lot more worldly said. That is who the answers have. The answers are still the same. But if we want to defeat, quote-unquote, let me use the language of the day, if you want to beat liberals... You want to beat the Democrats? Have your principles and never waver. Because when you do, you might just be considered another joke to this Michelle Wolf. And also, just as a question, if we're in a society that jokes and mocks and laughs about knocking a baby out of its womb, what's left? What, where can that bar go any lower? I think that bar is on the ground. Don't go anywhere, America. We'll be right back. You're listening to Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on the Blaze Radio Network. Disciple On Demand on the Blaze Radio Network.
Thank you so much for sticking with us, America. As always, we're on all major platforms, SoundCloud, iTunes, iHeartRadio, Google Play Music, Stitcher, OmniFM. Wherever there's a major platform, generally we're on it. Look for Freedom's Disciple. A new show is out every Saturday at 12 noon Eastern, so please consider sharing it with your family and your friends or subscribing. I want to continue on talking about your culture, but I want to focus in on what some of the outrage was this week. And I want to just share a bit about me and who I am. It's something I've never really shared a lot with a lot of people. And the week I'm having this week, I think it's it's kind of apt because it's been an emotional week. So a lot of people were outraged. And you might be thinking, John, you made a load of decent points in the last segment about abortion, but what she did was just wrong. What Michelle did was wrong, and, and it should have gotten an apology. And it sh- you know, this type of language, especially against women, can't be tolerated. So let me address this. As I said, I watched the whole eighteen-minute speech. You know, I, I had a choice of watch Michelle Wolf, who I didn't know, speak for eighteen minutes at the White House Correspondents' Dinner on YouTube, or I could put pins on my eyes. Boy, did I make the wrong decision! I would have rather the pins, but. I watched it. I didn't laugh once. I didn't even come close to smiling, let alone laughing. It was horrific. Was what she said wrong? I I wouldn't have said it. I I didn't think it was funny. I thought it was more of a hey, I'm gonna I'm a comedian. You know, some of these comedians do this. They go, I'm a comedian. I can say what I want. But well, here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna stand up on a stage and I'm gonna just give a political speech. And I'm just going to tell you what I really think of you. And then I'm going to do it all under the guise of, well, hey, if you don't like it, I'm just been a comedian. Hey, man, don't blame me. I'm, I'm a comic. I'm, I'm here to make you all laugh. I didn't, I failed making you laugh. Okay, fair enough. But that's all I was, there was no mean spirit in this and this. This was mean spirited. She wasn't there to be a comic. She wasn't there to be, uh, amuse anyone or, or entertain anyone. She was there to make a political point. She was there with an agenda, and it was clear. Now, full disclosure, would I go to the White House Correspondents' Dinner? No. Kudos to Donald Trump for not going two years in a row. Kudos. I think it's pointless. I don't think it's... All these, all this glitz and glamour, I, I just don't understand. I don't get it. It's a part of America I don't like. I just have nothing in common with it. Glitz and glam, just not me. Especially, you know, oh, look how great we are. Oscars is something similar. You know, oh, well, what we're going to do is all these movies, we're going to nominate them for, a, you know, a Golden Globe. And we're go- it's going to be decided by actors. And we're actors going to tell other actors how great they are. And we're all just going to watch to see how other actors think. Really? Can we just get on with it? There's more important things in life. And I know I'm a dull and boring person. I fully admit it. But the outrage for it, they're saying she should apologize. The the White House Correspondents Committee, apparently there's a committee, came said we need to review things better. You know, she didn't say things, but, you know, we, we're just, we're going to apologize. People even in the New York Times were like, this is right. Here's my problem with society and our culture today. I watched that whole speech. I didn't find it funny. I thought some of the things were clearly mean-spirited. However, if you gave me five minutes on either Facebook or Twitter, I guarantee you I'd find a lot worse. I guarantee you I would find a lot worse than what she said. Yet no one's outraged at Twitter. And by the way, I love how some of my friends go, well, that's just liberals, John. They just attack everyone. 
as someone who is, you can argue or debate how much I'm in the public eye, but I'm somewhat in the public eye. Over the last, well, how many years am I doing this now? Been public? Seven years. In the real public, like writing and putting stuff, content out there, doing videos. I would guess 90 plus percent of the hate I get is from right wing people. I, when I say I get insulted a lot, people always go, well, that's just the left-wing Democrats for you, you know, that's just who they are. And I'm like, I do get some hate from the left, very rarely, because I'm not well enough known, thank God. But the most of the hate I get is from the right. The death threat I got was from a Republican. The threats of assault were from Republicans and conservatives. So it's on all sides. The problem that we have in our culture right now is both sides, both left and right, you to use those wrongly terms but because they, they are wrong, but left and right in America and the world are morally outraged by what the other side does. If they do something, oh, we're outraged. That's, that's wrong. You can't do that. Yet we all do it ourselves. We all love insults. We all love one-liners. We all love cutting people down to size. You see it on social media every minute of every day from people of all political persuasions. Insults and petty insults are not belong belong to one side or the other. They just it's a human thing. But because I knew this was going to come up, I actually want to share a reason of why I act the way I do. If you ever see me on social media, I very rarely insult people. I very rarely get petty with people i don't share well that's just you know very rare i'm flawed and i don't like when i do it but sometimes i have reacted angrily to things but as a general rule i don't do it and i'm going to tell you why today and this is a story i've never told publicly i don't do it because i know how it feels when it happens to you And I also know very well, and probably better than most, of the first-hand consequences of constant insults, hate, and abuse. I have been, you can use whatever word you want, bullied, hated, abused, since I was four years old. And I'm now in my 30s. I have been bullied, victimized, abused, whatever word you want to use, by every sector of society. I've been spoken down to, I have been insulted, I have been mocked, I have been screwed, I've been lied about, by teachers, by students, by kids, by sports teams, by priests, by friends, by family members, by ex-girlfriends. I have been told I am worthless since I was four years old by someone. Now, I could say, sit here and go, well, that's poor me and I need your sympathy. I don't. I really don't. I'm not looking for your sympathy. I'm trying to tell you the way I act the way I act and also as a plea to maybe get you to change the way you act towards people. 
The world is a strange place. We don't act the way log- the way I see logic demanding us act. You know, if you've ever been bullied, it's one of the most painful things you'll ever experience. You know, as someone who was a kid who got bullied in school all the time, I got called every name under the book. I was fat, I was ugly, all the different names. And then I was beaten up routinely. That's a reason, you know, on a side note, personal story, it's the reason why I started lifting weights. Because I was a small chubby kid. And I got beaten up after beaten up after beaten up. And I saw the system the way it was. I have nightmares and will always have visions of getting beaten up in school, going home battered and bloodied and bruised. My father going, what's going on? My mother going, what's going on? And routinely, my father would go to the school the next day and go, this is what happened to my kid yesterday. What's happening? And eventually, then it would come to, hey, okay, who did this to you? And I would point out the people who did it. And then it would usually, it started off by getting them out in front of the class, getting them to apologize. And, well, we'll shake hands. That just made the beating worse. Then I would go back in and my father would make me tell. And then I would have meetings with my parents and their parents. And they'd cry and go, I'm so sorry. We ever meant it. We just wanted it. We just wanted it. And every time I spoke out or identified them, the beatings got worse. The bullying got worse. It was amazing how these bullies could cry on a dime and be remorseful in front of their parents and in front of teachers. Yet the next day or the next week, and sometimes it's quietened down for a week or two. You know, they they took their detention or they, they took their punishment and then they let things die and simmer down. And then they just ratchet it back up. I've experienced it. Broken bones and battering and bruises, they all heal. Words don't. Words have this lingering effect of sticking with you. And they stick with you forever at times. And I was reading a story. I shared it last week of what the Yankees did. But this, this young girl who has been horrifically bullied in Pennsylvania... I reached out to her mother during the week to see how she was doing. If you pray, please pray for this young girl. She, she's she been told people want to kill her. They're saying to kill herself. No one will sit with her at lunch. She's just a really sad kid and she has no friends. She's been horrifically bullied. But we all do it on social media. So many people love it. Oh, you're only a libtard. Oh, you're a snowflake. Oh, you're just a left-wing nutjob. Words last with people. And sometimes we, we bully people and insult people without knowing anything about who they truly are. If you know the pain that that has caused, insults cause, you're just making a situation worse. And with social media, we can insult people we have never met and likely never will meet face to face. They're just another algorithm to us. I'm sure we'll never see the impact of what we have done to their life. It's so easy to be and to share insults. It's so easy to bully. 
And yet, at the same time, while it's so easy to bully in our culture, we never raise people up. We never try and help people. We never offer a kind word, or rarely do. It's so skewed on the side of insults and petty insults. I want to share something with you, deeply personal. You know why insults never bother me? Because some people say, well, how do you deal with all the insults? Because people go, oh, John, you're fat. Oh, you're ugly. Oh, you're going to die a virgin. Oh, no one would ever like you. Oh, if I was your boyfriend, if I was your girlfriend, I'd cheat on you every day. Uh-huh. Well, I don't know why none of that ever bothers me and I just let it roll off me. Because here's the truth. After 30 plus years of being bullied and victimized, there is nothing you can say to me that I don't say to myself every day and think about myself every minute of every day that is 10 times worse than your worst insult. The truth about bullying is this. If you sit around and tell someone they are a bunch of crap all day, every day, and your actions back that up, guess what? Eventually that person thinks they're a piece of crap. And no matter how much logic or reason you think that person has, they can't get out of it. The reason I am the way I am, and I've had some conversations with people this week and the topic's kind of fitted. I hope you don't mind me sharing this with you. It's because I don't want anyone else to feel the way I do about myself. I am at a point in time, and I'm not looking for sympathy, by the way. This is not a, oh, poor John, look, he wants, he wants. No, I don't want anything. I'm just telling you how it is. I never want anyone to live the life I live. I am at a point in time where no matter how much I try and change, I am shaped in some ways defined by my past. And to this day, I still am. I'm at a point in time where, if in case you're one of the people who actually has been really nice to me and has given me a compliment, if you know how I react, I don't know how to react when someone gives me a compliment. I have actually insulted some people I've been told and I've apologized privately to them when they've given me compliments and I've deflected and turned it into a joke about myself and, and self-deprecated. Just is totally alien and unnatural to me. And some people have been offended by, hey, I said this, John's always saying, you know, reach out to people, and I reached out to him, and he made a joke out of me saying something really nice. I found out, and I've apologized to a couple of people I've done this to. In case you're one of those people and I didn't know, I apologize. But I can't take compliments. I don't know how. It's so alien to me. We have a choice in our culture. And each of us has a role to play. It might be a very small role. But understand, if you're on Facebook and you're on Twitter and you're demeaning and you're insulting and you're constantly putting people down, 
that has a consequence. And while it may not be your particular insult or your particular put down that really hurts that person, it's a combination effect. If that person hears it from their schools, from their, their fellow students, from their workplace, from their parents, from their family, from people like I've heard it from, from priests, from teachers. I've had some really bad things done to me. I don't want sympathy. What I want to do is try and raise awareness for others to ensure they never go through it. I've been called a liar by a teacher in front of everyone. I was about six years old. I'll never forget these stories because they live with you forever. I was called a bald face liar in front of a class and laughed at and mocked by the whole class for lying. And the next day when I went home and told my parents what I said and the treatment I got, when I, my father went back and gave evidence that I was not lying, the response from the teacher was, oh well, you could understand how I thought he was. No apology, no nothing. These instances live with you a lifetime. And while I'm no doctor and I've done no research into this, we are living in a culture where a lot of people are deciding to kill themselves. Suicides, especially among young people, are up. Now, I don't know if there's, a, if there's been research or studies done on this. But I would say it's part of that reason is because of social media. True, all the hate and the insults. That people, especially kids, they're not given the foundation of understanding what's important. And they've been told day in, day out, they're a piece of crap. That they come from the wrong family. That they're fat. That they're ugly. And that they start believing it. And when they start believing, they go, what's the point in life? They have no moral foundation. And they decide, well, I'm a piece of crap. world won't miss me. I'll leave. If you want to know one of the most painful feelings and I'll leave you with this it's a great movie but there is some truth to it because I know a lot of people who have gone through this feeling it's a wonderful life I watched it about 3-4 weeks ago if you've ever been bullied for a long period of time you all ask yourselves different questions but one of the questions and I've asked myself this many times and I'm not going to share the answer with you. If I disappeared tomorrow, would anyone really miss me? When you're horrifically bullied, if you ask yourself that question and you get a really bad answer from your soul and your heart and your mind, I don't know how you overcome that. Am I asking everyone to be lovey-dovey with everyone? No. But a bit of respect wouldn't be such a bad thing. Dare I say it, a bit of respect the way we used to treat people before social media came apart. You know the old-fashioned values that conservatives supposedly love? Being nice to people? We can disagree on policy all day long. I know if you're a long-term listener, I'm sure I've disagreed with, you've disagreed with me on many policies. I have been very unpopular in many circles because of the situation stances I've taken. 
And even though the stance is always the same principles, when elections come up, it always makes me unpopular because I won't back your candidate. I don't back any, but because I won't support your candidate. And I'm sure this will happen in a couple of months and a couple of weeks as 2018 runs around and the elections start really kicking into gear. And I'd be like, no, I'm just for the principles. But here's the thing. We can be respectful to each other. We can use social media as a platform for major good. We can have a discussion based around principles, around ideas. If we can just put the petty insults and the hatred and the one-liners to the side. The choice is simple. You have a choice by what you do or what you don't do. When we come back, I want to finish up by just talking to you about the culture of conservatism. And I want to have an honest conversation with you about that. Don't go anywhere, America. Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on demand. The Blaze Radio Network. Pat Gray. What's the answer to that? You don't use Google. But good luck with that because there's nobody that's even close to them. Why can't conservatives do good search engines? I don't know. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I think it is a good question. It's worth looking into. Is there something in the conservative ideology that blocks you from being able to create (laughs) a decent search engine? (laughs) I don't know. Pat Gray. Weekdays from noon to 3 Eastern. Only on the Blaze Radio Network. Freedom's Disciple On Demand. On the Blaze Radio Network. Thank you so much for sticking with me, America. I want to just give a big thank you. Uh, This week, the show hit a milestone to getting 600 supporters and followers on SoundCloud. So if you're one of those 600, I really appreciate you. And let's go for the next milestone. I want to finish up today's show by just talking to you briefly about the culture of conservatism right now. And also, I want to respond to someone sent me an email about some content over the last couple of weeks and in case some of y'all have the same feelings i want to address them first of all the culture of conservatism i don't know what ideology i belong to i'll be honest because i don't know i know what conservatism is it's a way of life and i agree with 90 percent of us and i also you know i love libertarianism and i don't know what people i don't get caught up in the hey i'm this and i have this label and you're this label so you're the enemy i just believe in what i believe and i do my best to break it down in a principled fashion for you but conservatives right now i fear for them because conservatism is a way of life it's an ideology of you know self-reliance independence limited government free markets but it seems to be being defined right now especially in your culture aspects by people who are not conservatives and that is troubling to me you know this is happening at places like we which we discussed in the past like places like cpac where you had european conservatives coming over and speaking People like Marion Le Pen and Nigel Farage and all these people who haven't got a clue what American conservatism, quote-unquote, is all about. It is totally different. But over the last couple of weeks and month, I've seen so many positive things from conservatives saying, well, look at Kanye West, look at him. He's awesome, he's my new hero. I'm seeing the same things been said in similar firms about Roseanne. 
look, I'm not knocking Kanye. If he wants to be a free thinker, off more power to him. If he if he says something that I agree with, I'll be the first to say it's right because it's not because he's right or he's wrong. It's because the principle he's saying is right or wrong. Same with Roseanne. This is not a person. I'm not a person show. I'm a principle show. But conservatism has been defined by people who are not being conservative. If you think that's okay, then just ignore what I I just said. And just keep going on about your daily lives. However, if you're a conservative, or even if you're any ideology, let's not make this about conservatism. If you were this ideology, do you think your ideology should be defined by someone in that ideology or an outsider? Right now, conservatism has been defined by outsiders. Also, it's been defined by Hollywood. Whether you like Roseanne or you think Roseanne is a good person or bad person is irrelevant. There are Hollywood screenwriters writing the script for a, for a Roseanne. Kanye West is hardly, well, he's not Hollywood, he's part of that music entertainment culture. Hardly bastions for limited government freedom, or even bastions for understanding what we actually think. So, I think it's, honestly, I think it's time for conservatism to be defined and shaped by actually conservatives. And actually making that argument again. And continuing to make that argument. I hope that you listen to this and that you start promoting people. Because we live in a time where there are many great conservative speakers. And even people who wouldn't class themselves as conservatives, but understand conservative ideology. Or understand, you know, the principles of limited government and freedom. You have superstars right now to support. You know, even, I would say, a good chunk of the people at The Blaze... You know, whether you like him or not, Glenn is very understanding of history and the principles. You have people like Doc Thompson, Pat Gray. But even if you want to look outside the blaze, you've got people like Jordan Peterson, Ben Shapiro, Dave Rubin. There are a lot of people out there who have big platforms and who are understanding. Make them one of your champions. If you feel the need to have someone be your champion, actually make it someone who understands conservatism, not someone from Hollywood and the entertainment industry. I want to finish up by just addressing a, a comment I got in private. And I'm, I'm, this actually was a long conversation because it was given to me in private and I always respond in private. It was, it was sent to me um, on social media. I follow your show, John. I've followed it a long time. Love how you question everything. I love how you always get us to question ourselves. However, I've seen a change in your show in the last month regarding your coverage of the Alfie Evans story. I felt your coverage wasn't as independent and it was more your opinion and not questioning us to find ours. I also found you very arrogant when it came to he should live. It's not something I've experienced from your show before. Can you address this? So I addressed it in private and it went into a a fairly long conversation. But in case you're listening and you felt the exact same thing, or you felt the one-sided coverage, I want to respond to it. And it's not about Alfie, it's about the principles of life. I do my best every week, not to tell you, I do share my opinion, I'm not going to lie, but I do my best to present this in a way that gives you my opinion, but I give you the facts and then I question you to get you to question yourself. Now, am I perfect? No. 
Am I by anywhere close to the best arbiter, you know, great communicator? No. I'm no Ronald Reagan. I'm no John Wayne. I'm no Glenn Beck. I have, they have more talent in their pinky fingers than I do in my whole body. But I try my best. I never want to tell you how to think, ever. If I can't make the argument for whatever I'm talking about, whether it be freedom, whether it be the Constitution, limited government, free market economics, if I can't make the argument by discussing the principles with you, then I can't do my job. I always say, I always want you not to find out where I stand on the issue. The world, trust me when I say this, the world doesn't need another Jonathan Dunn. Trust me. The world has one and I could even make an argument one Jonathan Dunn is one too many for this world. Um, there's the self-deprecation again. That's just who I am. The world doesn't need another me. The world needs another one first you, ever who you are listening. Be you. Even if that means you think I'm 100% wrong, okay, that's cool. I'm not going to hate you. I'll have a discussion with you. But to the arrogance side, because of my moral framework and moral the way I see life and the way I try and my best to live my life, there are certain issues which are very crystal clear to me. They are crystal clear and I, I don't see... I will try, but I really struggle to see the other side of the argument. One of those issues is life. I believe life is sacred. I, it was not, and I'm sorry you felt this way if you did, I didn't think I was arrogant. Where I was like, you have to give the parents, the parents have the right to decide this, that there was only one side. And that what happens if I was wrong about the medical diagnosis and he was suffering and he should have been let to put to sleep? Of all the things I'm prepared to be wrong about, and there are many, life is at the top of that list. I would rather be on the safe side, quote-unquote, of life than be on the safe side and be on the side of death. I will always stand with life and life being precious and life having a chance and doing all I can to do it. I never want to be biased I never want to come on here and just have an agenda. My agenda is the truth. That's why I went to Liverpool. Not to make this about Alfie Evans again, but the reason I went to Liverpool was I was hearing stuff behind the scenes, but also publicly. Now, I I want to find out for myself where I stand. It's why I went. And I'm glad I went. The truth is the only agenda I have. And to get you to think... But if you think I was arrogant or you thought I was, you know, having an agenda, I apologize. It wasn't my intent. But I will finish up with this question. We as society need to ask ourselves, is life precious? Is life precious? Is life something we want to fight for? Is life been precious a hill we're willing to die on. There are not many hills I'm willing to die on. You know, I am passionate about free market economics. I hope that comes across any time we discuss it here. I am as passionate about free market economics as anything else. I'm not willing to die on the free market economic hill. I'm just not willing to die on it. I, I'll, I'll say you're wrong and I disagree with you, but I'm not laying down my life going, it has to be free market economics or nothing else. 
Because the truth of the matter is, for maybe a day this in 5,000 years, the world has had free market economics. And that's a day pushing it. The world has always known some type of control. America has always known some type of control. Um, Europe has always known some type of control. All these people who call themselves free traders now really aren't. They just have modernized their version of free trade. And you see all these free trade agreements. But they're not really for free trade. Free trade is a lot bigger and it's an issue we'll keep discussing. I'm not willing to die on that hill. Constitution. I am passionate about the Constitution. I think it is one of the greatest documents man has ever written. Checks and balances. Power. Where power is. Keeping everyone in check. Limited government. Having each role have a gov- role of government having a function. I think it's wonderful. I'm not willing really to die on the constitutional hill. I am willing to die on the hill of life. Because life is precious. And after everything I shared with you today about my insights, if I'm the one telling you life is precious, maybe it should take a bit of stock considering the way I see myself. Considering my upbringing. Life is truly precious. And I will always stand with life. Because I don't have a right to take an innocent life. I don't have a right to look at someone and go, you have no meaning, let's just get rid of you. Because it's either all lives matter or no lives matters. And when I say all lives matter and have meaning, I even mean liberal lives. I mean even people who believe in Antifa and communism and Karl Marx. Their lives have matter. They're just fundamentally wrong on certain things, I believe. But their life has meaning. Maybe their life meaning is to come and make our arguments better. I don't know. But life is precious. And we as society need to ask ourselves, do we truly believe life is precious? Because we will wake up in a day in the future, it might be next week, it might be next month, where we won't recognize the world. We now live in a world where comedians joke about abortion at the White House Correspondence Dinner. In Europe, we have problems with euthanasia. People believe that they have a right to die. It's a slightly different issue. You have the situation of Charlie Gard and Alfie Evans. We need to ask ourselves, is life precious? Is life important? Or we can just ignore that conversation. We can ignore all the principal conversations and share some of the stories that were spoken about this week. All the outrage about Michelle Obama calling herself the forever first lady. Which do you choose? There's a reason I didn't discuss it. It was a pointless story. And of all the things I'm outraged by right now, that doesn't even make the top one million list. That's been honest with you. I'll finish up with this thought. What we do and how we do it, or what we don't do, matters. And we will not be held blameless. What you do matters. Even if you only have one friend on Facebook and one follower, what you do matters. How you act matters. You can make a difference. You can make a positive difference on social media. You can make a difference in your community. You can make a difference within your family. Your life has value. Your life has meaning. And you can change your world. 
This world doesn't change overnight. It doesn't become a situation where overnight, blink, one big thing happens and the world changes. What happens is you go out and you do your bit and someone else does theirs and someone else does theirs. And then together you come together and all of a sudden you have changed your your little way of life, your little town, and then your community, then your church, then your city, then your state, then your country. Going back to your founding fathers, the Declaration of Independence. In truth, that was written 40, 50 years before it was ever written. It was preached from a pulpit. Maybe even more. People preached that week in, week out. Wrote catechisms about it week in, week out. Spoke about it. Debated it. It was bec- That's how your founders could go and have the audacity to say, we hold these truths to be self-evident because everyone knows them. Everyone's been discussing them. We have heard them from our pulpits. What is self-evident today? You have a role to play. You have a mission. You have a purpose. And if we unite over things that outrage us about Michelle Obama saying she's the forever first lady or, or Kanye West being the new hero, well, then that will become self-evident. But how cool would it be if we started laying the foundations once more as a society, as a world, of finding truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, and that they have certain rights from their creator. And we may disagree with those rights, but they have these rights. And we will stand for those rights that they are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. You have the right to pursue your happiness because no one has a right to tell you what you can and can't do. And that if we had the audacity to stand once again and say government's job, it is not your job to give people rights. It is your job to protect those rights. How about we stood as society and actually made those truths to be self-evident again? How you act and what you do and how you say it and who you say it to will define your little world and will define the world at large. I hope today's show has given you plenty to think about. I always thank you for your support. I, You'll never know what it means and how much it touches me when you all get in touch with me and when you share this content. As always, we finish the show the same way we do each and every week, by saluting the heroes in society. Not football players, not golf players, not baseball players. Well, the Yankees are kind of heroes, but that's another story. But the real heroes... The heroes who risk their lives 24-7. Your police, your firefighters, your emergency personnel, and your vets serving all over this wonderful world. We thank them and we salute them. And lastly, I salute you, the great American people. Never forget, America is great because Americans are good. America is great not because of politicians, not because of Donald Trump or Paul Ryan or Mitch McConnell or Nancy Pelosi or Chuck Schumer. America is great because of each and every one of you. Until next week, Saturday at 12 noon Eastern, have a wonderful and blessed. Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on demand. The Blaze Radio Network.